Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Would you guys please join me in prayer this morning as we invite the Holy Ghost into this session. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word that you gave me. Holy Spirit, I pray that as my mouth opens up, let it be your word that comes out. Your word with the power to heal, to restore, to bring a new beginning and a new destiny. Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, the people in this crowd can receive your words in their heart, that they might act upon it. And in Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. So the title of my message this morning, for those taking notes, is called, Jesus Served the Best Wine. Is Jesus served the best wine? That's a little bit provocative. I agree. I get it from my mom. I get, my mom's very provocative, not my dad, not my dad at all. But the title is Jesus Served the Best Wine. And I, like I said, it's provocative for today's day and age. That's just who I was raised to be. It's in my genes. But I enjoy putting like double entendres in my sermon titles because I think that it's a fun way to talk about the profound things of God. You're allowed to have fun in church. So I love about Awaken Church. They have fun in church. Come on, somebody. But my message this morning is not so much talking about, you know, the legality of drinking alcohol or wine. That's, you know, for another day, another time. But I'm focusing on one of the most profound miracles of Scripture, which also happens to be Jesus' very first miracle. Uh, there's something significant about the very first time something ever happens to us or by us. They always say, you remember your first time. I still remember my first bite of Chick-fil-A. I'll never forget, never forget. My buddy, after a football game, there's a new shop that opened up Chick-fil-A. I ordered a sandwich, and it was love at first bite. That's what they say, love at first bite. I still remember the very first time I saw my beautiful wife, Aubrey. She was beautiful. It was in 2016, the summer of 2016. It was love at first sight for me, and it was not the same for her. <laughs> but that's how it should be. I had to, you know, as a part of the game, I had to win her over and let her know that I was a good man. But I still remember the very first time that my dad opened my eyes to just the peak of comedy when I watched Dumb and Dumber for the very first time. Which is funny, I watched it when I was five, and I rewatched it, I do all the time, and I'm always like, why did my dad show this to me at such a young age? Like, my mom was obviously not around, <laughs> but I appreciate it. But the very first time I watched that movie, the, all these events, it, believe it or not, set a standard in my life for everything else to be compared to. Uh, some of us may have heard here, my dad's taught about this before, of something called the law of first mentions. That the very first time something ever happens, it sets the standard for every other event to be compared to. The very first thing God does in Scripture is usually not coincidence. God's not like, wow, I really didn't think of this, huh? Like, no, everything God's done in Scripture was done intentionally and uh, to reveal something for us to carry with us through our walk with Christ. And the very first miracle Jesus ever did is no exception. The very first miracle Jesus did was turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And we're going to read about it in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It'll be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, What business do you have with me, woman? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. 
Now there were six stone water pots standing there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing two or three measures each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And so they took it to him. Now when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine, and he didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head, the head waiter called the groom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the guests are drunk, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs did Jesus, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So the very first miracle of Jesus has great significance. It's not just a party trick. It wasn't just him seeking to financially bless a new married family and help them enjoy the ceremony, but it's loaded with key principles for our lives. It sets the stage for how we need to view our assignment from God and how we need to view our relationship to God. So point number one this morning, point number one is the good wine. Point number one is the good wine. The, the waiter said that Jesus made a good wine. See, Jesus doesn't just make ordinary wine. What Jesus brings is anything but ordinary. Jesus brings the best. In the words of Nacho Libre, it's the best. It's the best wine. Notice how in the story the wedding director was, was astonished that Jesus was bringing the, good, uh, the, the, the groom, but Jesus brought it, the good wine out last. He said that the grooms will normally bring out the good wine first because, you know, people will enjoy it. But by the end of the night, they've had a little too much to drink and they don't usually care what it tastes like. And most, most people will try and save some money as time gets on, try and play the system. See, that there was a surprise that when the longer the time went on, the stronger the taste remained. The world has this standard that after a while, you can take it easy. You can just rein it in. We can get used to things, get accustomed to the way things are. That after time has passed, we don't have to stand as strong or be as vocal as we were before. That after time, you can kind of fade into the background. See, as humans, we have a tendency to allow things to dilute as time goes on. To allow things to get weaker. To allow things to get less impressive. We want to settle down and not have to push ourselves or grow ourselves anymore. We say, that was the old me. I've got, I've got peaked now. I've made it. I can just relax. We begin to choose what makes things easier rather than choose what makes things, what makes our lives better. See, we choose to find ways to fit in rather than seeking to stand out. See, one thing I've seen a lot in modern day believers and churches do is they seek to conform to, to change the truth of the Bible to fit into culture. They seek to water down the word of God to make it taste less strong for the people of the world. And that's the reason as to why we see such a decay in society's morality. When we compromise the truth of the gospel in order to make it more acceptable to people, we end up ruining it if it's power to save. When we no longer preach the truth that there's only one way to make it into heaven and his name is Jesus Christ and you have to make him your Lord and Savior, believe he died and rose again, we end up causing people to believe there are other ways to salvation. I'm sure a lot of us actually have talked to people, maybe we know people who say, yeah, all these religions, they lead to the same spot. It's just a different path that gets you to the same goal. Friends, that's not true. They end up not really seeing a point in Jesus since we preach a watered-down version of the gospel that tastes just like any other religion. i got to tell you, Christianity is not meant to taste like everything else. In fact, I'm sure a lot of us can remember the first time we came into this house, this church, we had an encounter with God where you said there's something different in the water. Well, that's because it's not water, friends. It's the good wine of God. It's the good wine of God. You see... 
if we wonder why we have Christians who believe in a lot of this woke stuff, and we have like clergy, we have pastors who are promoting just ludicrous ideas that, that God is gender fluid, and just like full on promoting just uh, sexual promiscuity and homosexuality, we have to ask ourselves this question. What's the wine that they're serving, and what's the wine that they're partaking of? As churches in the late 1990s began to, to water down its message to appeal to people, it ended up creating watered-down Christians and pastors. Friends, i got to tell you, no one remembers the drinks that were watered down. They remember the drinks that were very strong. They remember the good wine. No one who tastes the good wine can ever really forget what it tasted like. Pastor Rex Crane said something that I love. He says, when you've felt fire, you'll never again settle for smoke. Once you've felt the fire, you won't ever want to live in smoke again. See, Jesus' first miracle wasn't bringing more water. He wasn't like, man, these guys are dehydrated. They've been partying all night, quick, before they collapse. No, he brought them something new. God did not send Jesus into this world to give it what it already had. Jesus came to bring something new. It wasn't like they're in heaven right before Jesus, you know, assignments being drawn out. And God's like, Jesus, do you see these people? Caught up in sin, shame, sickness, idolatry. Do you see that? Does that break your heart? And she's like, yes, God. My heart's shattered. And God's like, good. Have it stay that way. I want nothing to change. Nothing at all. Keep them, keep them exactly where they are. No, that'd be crazy. God literally sent Jesus to bring the world that which it didn't have already. Yet we have Christians seeking to bring the world that which they have already. And we wonder why things aren't changing. You see, he came to do what wasn't yet happening, and it's the same with you and me. So many of us work in secular jobs, which is a good thing. We have friends who aren't saved, which is a good thing for now. And we have families that are a lot of work. Can I get an amen on that? Some families are a lot of work. Come on. But that's why we're there, to bring what isn't there yet. We may be the only chance that some of these people have to encounter the truth of the love of Jesus. We may be the only ones who are capable of bringing change because we have been changed by God. We might be the only ones to tell them that there's a new standard because we've tasted that good wine. And we say, friends, I've got to tell you, I tasted something new. See, God made us who we are because there's no one else who can do what we do. Your life might be the only Bible that someone ever reads. A lot of people own Bibles. They have the Bible app, last opened October 2019, right? A lot of people own Bibles, but they don't read them. Your life, the way you conduct yourself, might be the only Bible someone ever really reads. You see, when they see the effect of the reality of Christ in you, they say, well, there's something's changed about that person. See, one thing, I, I was a youth pastor for, for five years. I was following in my dad's footsteps, the family business, youth ministry, which was great. Uh, one thing I used to tell my youth students when I was youth pastor in this day of transgenderism and gender dysphoria is that you can't possibly do anything better than by being who God made you to be. You can't ever be better at anything else in this whole world than by being who God made you to be. My DNA, my code from God, which I got from my beautiful mom, is 100% Ashmetesius. I can't ever be anything else. No one else can do the work of Ashmetesius, and Ashmetesius can't do the work of somebody else. You see, God gave me the good wine so that I would never again settle just for water. You see, we have a lot of kids who are confused, saying, if only I were someone else, then I could possibly find my mark, find my place, find my purpose. And they do that. They make these surgeries and changes. And even if they don't change the surgery, they act a different way. And they wonder why they still feel so empty. Because they weren't walking in who God called them to be. They weren't called to be somebody else. Friends, we're called to be who God made us to be. You see, because the good wine of God will keep us going when times get hard. 
That's where we have it. I'll never forget it. It's a true story, which a lot of pastors are like, this is a true story. This one really is true. Let me tell you right now. It's <laughs> a true story of this old Baptist preacher. It happened in like the like early 2010s. He'd been preaching this church in South Georgia for like 80 years. He had seen families come, families go, people being born, grandparents, generations, baptisms, burials. He had seen it all. He was this town's pastor. And one day he comes and he smacks, whatever this is called, the podium. There we go. He smacks the podium. And he's like, I've had it with you people. The tithes are down. Attendance is down. Society's bad. I give up. And he just walked off. I'm not kidding. He just walked off. Straight up. Just walked off like this. Walked off. People started crying. They're bawling. He just walked off. And like two minutes went by. And then he poked out his head. And he said this. He said, but where would I go? But what could I do? Nothing else can satisfy me in this world than the assignment I've got from God. Friends, I got to tell you. The good wine keeps you going when times get hard. Times will get hard, but that doesn't mean that we give up. That's a sign that we have to keep on going. What else will you do in this life than follow after God? He basically said, I can't settle for a life that's less than the one that I've tasted with God. See, Peter said the same thing to Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 68. Jesus at this time had just done the feeding of the 5,000. He had anywhere from 12 to 18,000 people following him daily for his teachings, for his words, for his miracles. And Jesus follows that up by having all the crowds, by giving them a hard word. He said, I'm the bread of life. You can't get into heaven except through me. He gave them a very hard word. And the Bible records that all these people who love Jesus' miracles saw that hard word and they deserted him. All the multitudes. Jesus had the crowds, and then he gave him a hard word. And Jesus looks to Peter as everybody's leaving, and he says to Peter, he says, are, are you going to do the same? Are you going to leave? But Peter responds to Jesus in John 6, 68. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter essentially tells Jesus, I've tasted the wine you produced, and there's nothing else like it. I can't trade this away. You see, Peter originally caught to the vision of God, and that's why he followed Jesus but eventually the vision of God caught Peter, and he could never turn away. Pastor Tommy Barnett, who is my wife's granddad, and he's the pioneer of the church that I work at now, he would always say that at first, you'll grab a hold of the vision of God, but then eventually, it grabs a hold of you, and you can't ever seem to shake what God put on you. Friends, I gotta tell you, when you taste that good wine, it doesn't matter how hard, how scary, or how uncertain you might be, you'll say, there's nothing else I can do but live this life. You see, we can't trade the truth of God for friendship with the world or, or for siding with popular opinion of today's culture. James 4.4 tells us that being friends with the world makes us enemies of God. It does not get any more scriptural than that verse right there. Literally, being like the world is not what God called us to be. You see, we can't change the world if you're just like the world. You can't shake the status quo if you are the status quo. I'll never forget uh, something I heard from God when I was just starting to be a youth pastor. I wanted, you know, to be big. My dad was a youth pastor for many years. I just have memories of him speaking at conferences, and he took a youth group of 60 kids to 1,060. That was my hero. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to make a big splash in the kingdom of God and, you know, make a name for myself as any young man with ambition does. And the Holy Spirit told me so clear when I started. He said, Ash, if you choose popularity or success over integrity, you won't have anything. But if you choose integrity over popularity and success... I'll give you everything. In that moment, and I, it was just one that I just like, okay, I believe that I heard from God. See, but I had to make that decision that I wouldn't sacrifice my integrity, the standard of God, for numbers for my youth group. 
I remember having to tell popular kids, kids who were bringing kids to the youth group every week, growing my ministry like crazy. I had to tell them the hard thing that there was a standard of life God called for them. And that means they had to make some changes. That means that doing things they didn't want to do and make Christ their Lord and not sexual pleasure, drugs, alcohol, or popularity. I told them about how you can't have one foot in and one foot out and say you're devoted to God. I told them that God had a plan for them to spend eternity in heaven because he loves them. And all he asks is one thing, to be made the Lord, to begin to have them choose his ways over their own. And when I found that as I preached this, these kids would look at me, receive this word, and they'd say it was too hard. And they'd walk out and choose the life of pleasure that they wanted. Friends, why did I, why did I say the hard truth when I, when I was wanting to see the big growth? Why would I say the hard thing? Why wouldn't I just play it safe and tell them what I knew they'd want to hear and almost encourage them to stay where they are in their life and almost like let them believe that God loves them and that sin was okay? Why wouldn't I just say the easy word that I knew they would receive? Because I tasted the good wine of God. And I realized that all the other stuff would never matter if those kids wouldn't be in heaven by the end of it. That once I saw the vision of God to lead people into the heavenly throne room and worship God for eternity... Nothing else mattered. That at first I was chasing a vision, but then eventually that vision was chasing me and I couldn't shake it. Friends, don't settle for common wine. Jesus didn't come to bring us common wine. Jesus came to bring us the good wine, the wine that once we taste, we can never be satisfied with anything else. Jesus' first miracle was done to show us how we're to live each day. Not being common, not being what the world tells us, not being someone who stands down, but we're someone who stands out. When you stand out in a crowd, people want to ask you what you've got, and you tell them, well, actually, I've tasted this wine. Let's go, let's go, let's go enjoy it. By choosing to leave the old ways behind and chase after the new life God has for us. That means to point number two. Point number two this morning is the new wine. Point number two is the new wine. Point number one was the good wine. Point number two was the new wine. What's interesting about Jesus is there's no mention of him owning a vineyard in Scripture. That wasn't the Jesus vineyard where you can come and rent it out for weddings and all these nice things, Right? He didn't have a place where he would stomp on grapes, press them into juice, and then leave them to ferment into wine. So the wine that Jesus brought to the wedding wasn't wine he'd already made and just switched it when no one was looking. It was like when I was a kid, my, my favorite restaurant was McDonald's. I'll never forget, <laughs> gee, I'll never forget the day I got saved. I was four years old. Pastor Phil Pringle gave a message, and I responded to the altar call. My dad was just pumped. I mean, he was like bawling. He was like, son, whatever you want for dinner tonight, let's get it. And I was like, McDonald's. He's like, man, we're doing McDonald's. I never got, I got my Happy Meal and we came home and, and my mom was like, did you boys save room for roast tonight? And my dad was like, nah, Ash got saved and he got McDonald's. And my Happy Meal like, that's right, mom. <laughs> you can eat the roast yourself. <laughs> so, so McDonald's has been a big part of my childhood and I would like prioritize my McNuggets. And I forget, my dad would do that thing where I'd have my McNuggets, I'd count them, like this is gonna be a good dinner. He'd be like, oh my gosh, son, what's that over there? And I'd be like, huh? And I'd look back and he'd be like, Neep, and he'd you know, do the switcheroo on me, the dad tax. And I was like, dad, when you were of age, I am so gonna put you in a home. I hope you enjoy that nugget. I'm <laughs> just joking, I'm just joking. But he would do that switcheroo when no one's looking. Jesus didn't just do a switcheroo. He wasn't saying, what's that over there? And then like brought his own wine from home. It's like a taste test. You like that? I got some more back where it came from. This wine Jesus brought was an entirely new creation, an entirely new wine. It was water, but it got transformed into a wine. What's crazy about wine is that wine needs to be aged. You can't have true wine without the fermentation process, which takes time. So Jesus gave the water a new past, and in doing so, it turned into wine. And keep that there. We'll kind of talk about that a bit later. But Jesus' first miracle was making a new wine 
And it's a miracle he still does today in us. And it's a beautiful picture of true discipleship. Jesus had barrels filled to the brim with water. Uh, water in scripture, when you read it, it's like kind of a symbol of the Holy Spirit or knowledge of scriptures. That's kind of what it is. So these brims were, f- uh, these, these, these barrels were filled to the brim with water. The water was then turned into wine, testifying that the knowledge would then come into spiritual life. What was known will now become what was lived. That is, you and I allow Jesus to make the new wine in us, we'll find that some of the things we read about in scripture and heard about in sermons will then bring about. It's the same God, the same Holy Spirit in my Father is the same Holy Spirit inside of you. That we'll walk in the spiritual anointing of God, all of us. Notice how in the scriptures, Jesus had many extra barrels of water. It wasn't just limited to a certain people. It was made available for all people. Anyone was able to drink the new wine since he had it in abundance. You see, friends, and once you've tasted the wine that Jesus offers, you'll never be satisfied with mere water. Again, once you've felt the fire, you'll never want to live in smoke. So not only will we serve God and raise our barrels to the brim of water, we'll eventually wait patiently until he's turned it into wine so we can bless others. The wine at the wedding was literally used to bless the lives of everybody else at the wedding. It helped the wedding guests have a good time, and Jesus gave the newlywed couple extra barrels of good wine that they could sell if they needed for extra finances. The new wine, when poured out, provides a fresh breath from God and rejuvenation to the soul, a pouring out of the wine. And we see that in Scripture prophesied by the prophet Joel in Joel 2.28. He says, It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. You see, God will pour it out in us so we can then use the gift to pour out over the whole earth. This is the miracle Jesus did first. And it's the miracle Jesus plans to do until the very end. You see, when Jesus turned the water into wine, it was more than just a party trick. (laughs) It wasn't just him trying to be cool and popular and make friends. The water into wine is a cosmological shift. As I said before, wine is grape juice that has been aged. Grapes have to be juiced and then left to ferment over time. And then after a set purity of time, the juice becomes wine. But the water was instantaneously turned into wine. In order for the water to to become wine instantaneously, the water was given a complete new identity, a complete new history and calling in a single instant. In one moment, what was is not what will become. That is what happened. And it's the same for you and I. When we repent and turn to Christ and become born again, it's literally the same thing as going from water to wine. You get an entirely new past, a new backstory, and a new potential. The water that had all that issues, you got a new story to bless the guests at the wedding. It's sufficient to say that Jesus literally changes history. He travels through time to undo the mistakes of our past as if they'd never happened. Jesus' blood fully cleansed us from sin, from death, and from self-salvation. Jesus already did all the hard work. There's nothing else we can do about it. So many of us are seeking to grab a hold of ourselves what Jesus already gave us. And in doing so, we cause more confusion, pain, anxiety than we really need in this life. Isaiah prophesies about it in Isaiah 1.18. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. A lot of us know the old church hymn, right? It was like, sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow, which is beautiful. It's like a very beautiful hymn that a lot of us maybe have heard of or sung. And if you just heard it, I hope I did it justice. I hope I did it justice. But what, you know, it's a beautiful hymn, but sometimes in singing a song, you can get used to just how profound of a statement it is. 
To get a scarlet cord or fabric to become pure white that was, you know, red is impossible. If we were to bleach the scarlet cord to somehow bleach the sins away, then the cord isn't truly white. It's actually what's now colorless. There's no life left in it. If we were to paint over the scarlet cord to choose to sweep the sins under the rug, turn a blind eye, is if it goes away, then it's not really white. We're just pretending not to notice. The only way you can get a scarlet cord to become white is if you were to have gone back before the cord was ever dyed in the first place. The only way it can get truly white is to have never made those mistakes in the first place. You see, when we surrender to God our sins, when we give lordship of our lives to God, he does to us what he did to the wine. He gives it a completely new past, a completely new backstory with a complete new destiny, a complete cleansing of our past. You see, Jesus, as God, is literally able to go back in the history of our lives and apply his blood and grace over the sins, and they're washed away forever. The only way our cord goes completely white is if we give it to God. No amount of work I can do can restore it to its rightful place. No amount of work I can do can earn me salvation. I have to fully surrender to God. A gospel message that preaches without surrender is without salvation as well. And friends, I got to tell you, we have a lot of preachers these days who talk about the goodness of God, the promise of God, the breakthrough of God, which are all true and real. I'm not going to talk about that. But they don't talk about the surrender of God. A gospel that doesn't preach about surrender of God is without salvation as well. So you can't be saved by God and be your own man. The world loves to prop up a self-made man. But if I'm being honest, a self-made man has actually ruined his purpose because we were made to be in the image of God. A self-made man is trying to violate how God made him, made in his image. Self-made men are some of the most dangerous men. Matthew 16, 26. What will a man profit if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? If a man gets everything he wants but leaves God out of it. Friends, we leave the world the same way we came in, with nothing. The typical kind of definition for what you truly own is that which you can take with you. The only thing we can ever take with us to the other side is our soul, which is a gift from God. You see, if we do this life without God, it may feel good for a moment. I'm not going to lie. If I hit the lottery and I got a rose gold Lambo with suicide doors, I had a penthouse suite with a corner office, I'd feel pretty good. I would, I'd say I'm actually kind of crushing it in life. But then the economy takes a downturn. I have to sell the house. Someone drives into me. My car is ruined. Well, then what am I left with? Friends, it's the same thing when we die. All the beautiful architecture, stories, buildings. Solomon said it himself. He says, I build a building that someday someone else will live in. He says, what's the point of this? And at the end of his life, he realized there's only one point to life, to fear God and keep his commandments, to keep your soul clean because that's what you take with you. You see, we won't ever be able to advance further than the limitations of earth. If you want to live by yourself, God bless you, but you'll be stuck here on earth with all your issues, mistakes, shames, and sicknesses. Don't, don't allow the obsession or the hype with being a self-made man to be a snare to you. When we allow Jesus to come in and make us wine, we become even better than we could ever imagine. In God, our sins aren't covered. They're completely wiped away. We're covered by the blood of Jesus from God's wrath, but the sins are literally, to quote, no more. When Jesus went to hell, as referenced in 2 Peter, he took our sins and he left them there, a place we can never go in this lifetime. So we need to leave them there. Yeah. A lot of us have this false humility and this false sense that we can somehow show God how sorry we are, show God how holy we are by keep reminding him of how sorry we are for the sins. We keep trying to bring back from hell what he left there. He's saying, why would you touch that? Leave that where it is. I'll never forget, this is impactful of my life. Um, 
when I first got hired at the church I'm working at now, Dream City Church in Phoenix, Arizona, I was the junior high pastor. As a junior high pastor, I took the, the ministry in six months from 30 kids to like 55, and they were like, we like the cut of your jib. We want you to do the high school and junior high, so like kind of a promotion. I was pumped. I was like, sweet. I was like, man, like my dad was a youth pastor. I get to be one. This is going to be perfect. And I was driving home, and, you know, the devil, who's the worst? I really don't like him. He's not good. I can say that, too. He's the absolute worst. He got in my head. And the worst part is he sometimes sounds kind of right. He was like, you're going to lead these high schoolers? You? You're only this young? Just graduated? Remember all those sins you did? Remember all the times you should have stood up, but you didn't where you were quiet? How are you going to tell them to do what you couldn't do? And the worst part is I was like, oh, God, he's right. I was like, oh, no. I remember I literally cried out to God in that moment saying, God, yeah, why did you choose me? Why wouldn't you choose these three people? They're not as cool as me, so I kind of get it, but what? no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> remember, I literally said, God, why did you choose me with all my mistakes and all my sins and all my issues? And in that moment, I got what I call like the calm rebuke of the Lord. It was like sweet, but it was like the knock it off moment. He just told me to read Jeremiah 31, 34. And so I did, and, and to summarize that verse, it talks about in the end times, God will be written on the hearts of all men. From least to greatest, they will all know him. And he says, I will forgive their sins and remember them no more. And God told me as clear as day, the Holy Spirit put a word in my heart. He says, Ash, I've forgiven you, but now you need to forgive you. And I gotta tell you, I actually have a really easy time forgiving other people. I'm like, they didn't know it, or oh, God help them. Like, I can forgive other people really well. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is myself. And I realized that as I was trying to hold on to all of these things and not surrendering it to God, I put a ceiling on what I can do. I'm not trying to sit here and say I was being a self-made man in that moment, but in theory I was. A self-made man is dangerous because he limits a limitless God. You see, one of my favorite songs is New Wine by Hillsong, right? Make a new wine out of me. Get rid of the past mistakes and make a new wine, an entirely new life, a new future, to be a blessing to the lives of others. But in that song, it says, where there is new wine, there is new power. There's no power greater than the power of God. And that leads me to point number three. Point number three, communion, communion. New wine, good wine, communion, wine, right? It kind of flows. It all makes sense. The best wine Jesus ever made is the wine that he poured out on the cross, now, now, Jesus didn't pour out wine on the cross, right? He wasn't up there with his hands nailed with a little glass of wine and so pouring one out for the dead homie. He wasn't like, boop, nope. But we're talking about his blood that he poured out. But Jesus was very clear that to remember what he did of Calvary by partaking with wine. Matthew 26, 27, and 28. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus chose wine as the symbol of his blood. Jesus poured out his blood for us, and he chose wine. His first miracle, water to wine, would end up being a part of his greatest miracle, the miracle that initiated our ability to be right with God and enter heaven. Friends, I gotta tell you, there's no coincidences in scripture. Now, we, at Awakened Church, we don't believe in the transubstantiation, which is a Catholic term that when they pray over communion, the, the, blood, the wine becomes blood and the bread becomes a human body. That's just what the Catholics believe. But we understand that Jesus left it as a symbol to serve as a reminder. That communion's a reminder. But a reminder of what? Communion isn't just a ritual to be done blindly. It's not something we do just to feel better. It's not something we do just to end our weekly attendance at Mass or Church. It's not about just eating and drinking. Communion, partaking in the Eucharist of communion, reminds us of the reality of what Jesus did. That he would leave heaven 
become human and die for us. Why? So we can then have relationship with him. You see, communion is not about appeasing God or getting us to feel the weight of shame. It's reminding us of what Jesus has done for us. That he set us free from the chains of death, sin, and sickness. That Jesus didn't come to earth so we would stay the same as we are. He came to die the death of a sinner so we can live the life of the righteousness he deserved. Jesus came to bring what wasn't already there. We were caught up in sin, but he came to bring us a new life. Jesus didn't come to bring what we've already got. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It's so powerful. It reads, for he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm not going to lie. If we did like a worship night and you just had this verse on the screen, as people began to read and understand the gravity of what that verse means, this altar would be packed. A man who knew no sin, he had the best life. He was partying up in heaven every single day. He chose to leave it, to become filled with sin, to feel real pain so that we might experience that life. Friends, there is no other God, there is no other story in the entire world that can match the gravity of that verse we just read. But if I'm being honest, there's another scripture that that is just as powerful that the church has kind of strayed away from over the years. If I get someone to come up on the keys whenever they're ready. You see, Jesus didn't just pour his blood out on the cross. He also poured it out at the whipping post. A lot of us have seen The Passion of the Christ. If you haven't, it is a good movie. It's very graphic, but it's the truth. Jesus poured his blood at the whipping post. Isaiah 53, 5 reads, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. So we could be healed. Isaiah prophesied this 700 years before Jesus is born and says that by his stripes we could be healed. That his stripes, the whipping he endured on the cross, would heal us. See, that check was written 700 years before Jesus was born. I remember hearing this from a sermon from Pastor John Heinrichs years ago. And and just so you know, I'm a son of this house. Truthfully, I don't know any other way to do Christianity than the way of this house. I've lived my life that way. And Pastor John basically in reading this verse understood that Isaiah wrote a check that says healing. 700 years before Jesus was born. But let's see what happened after Jesus' life according to St. Peter in 1 Peter 2.24. He says, Jesus who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we having died to sins might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. So Peter says that the blood that Jesus took at the whipping post caused us to already receive the healing power of Christ's blood. In other words, the could be or the will be has become the has been. Literally, the check that was written by Isaiah was cashed in by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have access to a healing this morning. I've got to tell you. You see, the, the scriptures talk both about the forgiveness of sins, but also about the healing of our physical bodies. Healed from sin, yes, and sickness and disease. You can't have one without the other. The church has done a great job of understanding that Jesus' bloodshed ensures our salvation. We have no doubts that Jesus can save, atone for sin, apply grace. We don't doubt that. But yet sometimes we doubt that he still heals. Maybe you've been in a spot where you're still needing a healing. Where's God now? Or perhaps you prayed for someone and they made it up to heaven. And so we begin to doubt, does Jesus still heal? But friends, I gotta tell you, the healing we need was already paid by Jesus. It would be theological malpractice for me to preach that God can still save you, but that he won't heal you. 
you can't pick and choose what scriptures you want to believe. You either believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You see, you can't have one without the other. I believe in a God who heals. I pray for healing all, all the time. Like I said, I'm a son of this house. We, I started men's prayer at Dream City Church, like a men's prayer at Awaken. And we pray for healing over people. We have people with cancer diagnoses get healed. And it's come to my life where I'm more surprised when God doesn't show up than when he does. And friends, I've got to ask you, if you're in that spot and you're actually more surprised when a prayer is answered, then what wine are you partaking of? Have you tasted the good wine of God? Because I can't believe in anything less. Where would I go? What would I do? This is the only standard of life God has for me. I'll never forget a story. When I had become youth pastor, um, I was driving home. Arizona has bad traffic. Not as bad as here. This is diabolical, but traffic. And traffic, traffic's the worst because you sit there and you're like, what am I doing with my life? Like, this is a waste. I'm like, what am I done? And so like, finally, after sitting in an hour of traffic, I had made it home and I'm pumped. I'm like, I'm just gonna go hop in the pool and live my life. And I got a call from one of my youth students and, and she was saying that, hey, do you remember Jordan who came to youth? Her name was Jordan, this girl's name was Jordan. He said, she actually went in for a surgery. She has severe scoliosis and Jordan called me to ask you if you could pray for her. The hospital closes in one hour. Can you make it there today? This is the last day that you know, she'll be able to receive prayer for the next, for the next weekend. And the hospital was an hour away in traffic. And every fiber of my being wanted to say that I was actually busy <laughs> and I had other plans. But the Holy Spirit told me in that moment, he says, you need to go, be obedient. So I drove through that traffic, I went to the hospital and spoke with the doctor. And the doctor had said that she had very severe scoliosis at night when she would sleep, her hip bone would connect to her spine and she'd have to literally get popped up so she could go to school. The doctor said the surgery went well but it's gonna be 12 weeks before she, or 12 months, excuse me, before she can walk again. This girl was on her school dance team and uh, she actually had a very beautiful story. She came from a broken home and the friend who called me had started a campus club for Jesus, like a, a school Bible club, met the friend there, invited her to youth group and she got radically saved. But I would preach that youth group, the only version of God I knew, the only wine I'd ever tasted. And not only will you make it to heaven, but God can still heal you. So she called her friend to say, can you have Pastor Ash come and pray for me? The doctor said, 12 months, she'll be lucky to walk. She'll walk eventually, but 12 months, that'd be a good time. But she said she wanted to do our Christmas show to dance in, and she wanted to dance for her school. So I went into the room and, and her mom was there and her mom had started to come to church and believe. And like I said, I've only ever tasted this wine. So I told her, I said, hey, it might sound weird, but I'm gonna do what's called praying in tongues. And it's just me allowing God to speak through me. Is that okay? And the mom was like, can you pray for me to speak in tongues? And I was like, sure. I was like, wow, okay, that's easy. So I prayed for her. And I just, was, I asked, I was like, hey, Jordan, is it okay if I pray for you? And she was like, she's on like drugs. She was like, yeah. And I was like, I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> so I just gently placed my hand on her back and just began to just pray, God, you're the God who heals. Holy Spirit, I don't need to beg you to be who you are. You are Jehovah Rapha. I don't need to remind you of the power you have. Your hand is not too short. You wrote the check. I'm asking to cash it in this morning. Can we see healing? And I prayed in tongues. And I would love to say in that moment, I felt the fire from God leave my hand and like, boom, hit her lightning strike. But it felt normal, totally normal, like any other prayer. In my head, I was kind of like, oh, God, like, I hope you show up. <laughs> I was like, I need you to work. <laughs> Help me out. And so I just was like, okay, like, pray for 20 minutes, like, hey, I love you. I can't wait to see you again. Like, I'll be, let me know how I can help you. Driving home, and I just said, Lord, no matter what happens, I'm just thankful that I had courage and was obedient. I was, like, kind of doing, like, the pity part. I was like, does, even if it doesn't work, God, you're still cool. <laughs> I still like you. <laughs> but I never forget 
she, you know, was living her, her best life. I was back to doing work, just doing my thing. And a month later, she walked into youth group. She walked in, yeah. And I remember just being so stunned, so shocked. I remember saying, how did you walk in here? They said 12 months. And she said, the doctor hasn't seen something like this. I've recovered so well. I'm ahead of the game. And she walked in. Not only did she walk in, she danced in our Christmas show, giving glory to the God that healed her. She danced for her school, showing people the goodness of God. She was one of my greatest evangelists at that school because I believed that God didn't send Jesus to keep people where they at, but to give them what they needed. That's the wine Jesus brings us. And it's the power of communion, the power of the blood that he brought. I've got to tell you, communion isn't just for souls, but it's for our bodies too. When we take communion, the same spirit of God that filled Jesus comes on the inside of us, that Jesus can now be a part of you. You see, communion won't have any power over or power for you if you haven't made Jesus your Lord. It's not enough to know Jesus as Savior, but he must be Lord. See, Jesus is everybody's Savior, whether they know it or not. Truth be told, he actually is everyone's Savior. He's not everybody's Lord. Is he Lord over every area of your life? Not just what you show him on Sundays and Wednesdays, but all the days. A quote I heard that I love, and it says that, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not your Lord at all. A lot of us think, Jesus, I'll give you 99% of my life, but the Fridays with the boys, late at night with this magazine, late at night when I'm out there smoking this, that's just for me. Just let me have that one piece. But if he's not the Lord of all, and friends, I gotta tell you, he's not truly your Lord at all. Jesus can't be my savior if he's not my Lord. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus talks about how in the end times, many will come to him saying, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these things in your name? Did I not serve you? They won't be saying, Savior, Savior, did you not die for me? But Jesus will respond. It's apart from me, I never knew you. I wasn't your Lord at all because you didn't make me the Lord of all. You see, Jesus did die for us, but that's not the deciding factor. And if we get to spend paradise with him, we have to accept his gift and make him Lord of our lives. Jesus wants nothing more than to be your savior, but in order to be your savior, he has to be the Lord. He has to be the one in charge. It's not enough to live holy on Sundays, but worldly on Mondays. It's not enough to be a member of the body to attend church and not submit to the head of Christ. To have a body without a head is a monster. That's what we use to scare children. But we have a lot of Christians who live that lifestyle. Yeah, I'm in the body, but I got a new head. And we think, we wonder why things aren't getting better the way we want them to. But the greatest part of God is that he's decided that he's never too far away to hear your call to make him Lord. Jesus was already willing to leave heaven to forsake divinity, come down to earth to feel real pain so that he could pour out his blood for you, for me, for us. Friends, are you willing to drink it this morning to taste the good wine? to taste the good wine and no longer settle from your water, to allow Jesus to make a new wine in you, to allow him to forgive you, and in doing so, forget the mistakes you've made, to atone for our sins, past, present, and future. The best wine we could ever have is the wine that Jesus serves, because Jesus serves the best wine. If I could have everybody just bow their heads this morning, and just a moment of reverence with you and God. Allow God to speak to you this morning, but if you're in this place and, and you're saying, Pastor Ash, what you said speaks to me. Man, I, I, I've been living a common life. I realize now that God has put me in a place to bring that wine, and you're asking for courage. Or maybe you've never actually been made into the new wine. 
You haven't been able to forgive yourself to feel worthy of doing what God called you to do. You feel disqualified. And you're saying, Pastor Ash, can you invite the presence of God to make a new wine in me? Or perhaps you're in here and you've never yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And not just Lord of the 99%, but the Lord of all. And perhaps you're saying, I want to finally put that thing to bed this morning and rededicate for the first time and the first time in a long time that He's Lord of all. Christ is my Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, a moment between you and God, I'm going to count to three. I'm just going to ask that you lift up your hand, not to point at you to bring shame, judgment, or condemnation, but so you know that I see you and I'm going to pray for you, pray with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you could just lift up your hand on the count of three, I'll know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. Lift up those hands in this place. Wow, thank you right there. I see that hand. Thank you right there. I see that hand. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, I see that hand. Praise God. Everybody with their heads bowed and eyes closed, just begin to repeat after me this morning. Everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father. Everybody say it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to bring a new wine. Lord Jesus, today, I choose to make you Lord of all my life for all the days of my life. Lord Jesus, I love you. I'm thankful for you. And in Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.